is our annual co-op show, and we are broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton. We have with us very special guests today. We have uh, Luisa Dimas, who is the board chair of the Valley Alliance of Workers Co-ops, and Craig Boven, who is from the UMass Five College Credit Union, and Rochelle Prunty, who is the general manager of River Valley Market, the aforementioned, and Lynn Venander, who is from Co-op Power, and Jason Carpenter from Downtown Sounds, and Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op. Welcome to you all. Did I miss anybody? I don't think so. We're good. Listen, I'd like to start and ask a question that may seem, well, a bit basic, but I think it's really important because, frankly, I get confused from time to time. I'd like to know about the different kinds of co-ops that there are here in the Valley, and then we're going to hear from a number of them on this co-op day of this co-op month, and it is National Co-op Month, so we are so pleased to be able to bring this show to you today. Let me start with uh, Larissa Dimos from the uh, Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops. What are co-ops? What kind of co-ops are there here in the Valley, and what is the Valley Alliance? Um, I will start with... Um different types of co-ops. You have worker-owned co-ops, which are owned and operated by the workers in the co-ops. Um, there's consumer co-ops, like the um, River Valley Co-op that we're sitting at right now, which is owned by the members, the, the public that just are shopping. Um, credit Union, which is also owned by its members as well. Um, producer co-ops, so these are people like Ocean Spray or Organic Valley. You see a lot of their products at the co-ops as well. Um, purchasing co-ops, so this would be like Ace Hardware. I think a lot of people are familiar with them. And then there are multi-stakeholder cooperatives, and those can be a combination of any of these. Wow. Could you do that again slowly? <laughs> <laughs> really, that's just so interesting. I'd never thought of so many different kinds of co-ops. So we have worker co-ops, and you are, you are a member of a worker co-op. Actually, I'm a member of a hybrid co-op, which is worker and consumer-owned, the Flatiron Cooperative, which is a coffee house in Bellas Falls, Vermont. Okay, so you're a consumer co-op. Worker and consumer-owned, yes. Okay, so explain how those two things work. What is one, what is the other? So the workers are the ones who um, run the business day-to-day. -day. We work collectively together to make all the decisions, and then we have our consumer members, which are basically have a membership similar to your local food co-op. So and they would get you know, benefits and discounts and have a say um, when we're making big decisions of what the customers want that are coming through the doors. So the consumer co-op part of your co-op, yeah. that's the public that has invested in some way? In yeah, so they buy a member share and they basically have equity into the business. So if we do well, they will get an investment on their return, a return on their investment of the co-op. I see. And are what, the other kinds of uh, co-ops that are not worker co-ops that you mentioned, producer co-ops um, and uh, other bin so business yeah, enterprises? Yeah, so producer co-ops are generally groups of farmers most of the time. So when I mentioned like Ocean Spray, there's several farms that produce the cranberries and they all sell to Ocean Spray. And then they get a piece of the profit um, from those sales. And those work like worker co-ops essentially but they're producers or am i messing this up it's different than workers they just collectively pool all of the product together to make one big product and then they get a percentage of that sale back to them i see okay well we have heard about a number of different kinds of co-ops do we have all of those in the valley all those different kinds of co-ops in the valley i'm gonna say yes <laughs> wow yeah 
Okay, well, we are here broadcasting live at River Valley Market, so I think it's only right, just fair and equitable, lifting anything out, to start with our host, uh, Rochelle Prunty, who has been with the River Valley Co-op since, I think, the beginning, very close to. Um, 2001. Okay. My mind does not go We by. opened in 2008, so uh, <laughs> there was a little stretch of time was that a, was a lot of organizing There was a work. little planning period, a little yes, construction. Yeah, that yes. was for the Northampton store, and of course now we're in East Hampton. This, this location having been open now for how long? How long have we been in East Hampton? Have you been in East Hampton? Um, we've been open here a little more than a year. Okay, so... You are a consumer co-op, is that right? Yes, we're a consumer co-op. We have um, uh, over 14,000 owners uh, in the community. And I guess by way of disclosure, I'm one of them. Okay, so I own a one. Me too. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so good to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here again. I'd like to. I'd like to ask you this: What does it mean? How does it work? To be, okay, we're owners uh, of we're, uh, of the co-op. W- what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So it, what it means is is that the customers own the business, and um, and they own it cooperatively. So and that part is that it's equal. So. Everyone that is an owner of River Valley Co-op has one equal share and an equal say. And because it would be really unwieldy to have over 14,000 people making decisions on everything. That would be one amazing Zoom call. (laughs) We have an elected board of directors who are are co-op owners. Um, There are nine of them. And... uh, they they act on behalf of the of the full membership and they're elected by the membership um and and that's sort of a uh, it's a great way to develop um community leadership people can um uh get involved in the co-op on a lot of different levels the board is sort of the top level um and uh we have three-year terms and people uh you know can come and go and we've just been blessed with like amazing people coming through our board of directors and that that in addition to having an amazing staff which is over well it's over 200 and it's about 240 people um wow we wait, wait, uh, stop there for one second there are 240 people who work for yeah the there's Valley over Co-op. 100 in each store wow. and um over 20 in our florence uh office administrative oh. office uh, talk about an economic driver in a, economic of economic importance to the valley that's really quite extraordinary yeah we we took a big leap forward with the east hampton store and and nearly doubled our staff in two years wow let, let me turn if i might to uh, craig bovin from the umass five college credit union because we're talking about consumer co-ops and i take it that the umass five college credit union is essentially a consumer co-op but i would appreciate your telling me a bit more about how that works the credit union, it's a bank, I guess. I think that's a fair description. You're going to tell me no, yes, uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but how do, what does it mean to be a credit union, and how is a credit union a cooperative? Sure thing, and thanks for having me, Bill. And um, I think it's a, a sort of a little-known fact that credit unions are, in fact, cooperatives, right? So uh, credit unions, most of them started uh, from years ago. UMass 5 were over 55 years old at this point, and... 
Uh, a lot of co-ops started with a group of people getting together who couldn't get loans from one of the big corporate banks, right? The For, for whatever reason, bad credit, little credit, um, they got turned away, and then people pooled money together. So a great example uh, happened up in Manchester, New Hampshire, where there was a group of mill workers who actually worked and lived uh, inside the mill compound, and it was just terrible living conditions. And what happened was those mill workers pooled their money together and one by one were able to actually uh, elevate people outside of the compound to go live in better conditioned housing. Uh, so that's sort of the, the big story of cooperatives and credit unions overall. And for, um, for credit unions overall, you put in a $5 share to join UMass 5 or other credit unions. And what that means is that you have an equal share uh, in the credit union. You can run for our volunteer board of directors. You can vote for our volunteer directors. So it doesn't matter if you have $5 with us or 100000 It's all equal. That said... What does it mean is a practical matter for, let's just put it this way. I, I want to uh, take a mortgage. I, I need a mortgage, and I go to, to the UMass 5 College Credit Union. How does it work differently, if at all, from my going to a bank? Great question. In, in terms of products and services and, and, and what we have to offer, it really is the same as any other bank uh, or other financial institution that you could work with. But the big difference is the mission and the setup for it, right? There aren't any big, deep-pocketed stakeholders that we're asked to make money for. The people who uh, put their $5 share in, that's the people who we answer to. That's the people who we make decisions for. So you're competitive in terms of rates and financial products and, and the like, and the difference is you don't have to have a bottom-line profit? Exactly. And, and because of that, we're often more competitive on rates, too, right? We don't have to fund money back to investors who, who you know, gave us seed money to start the corporation. We get to invest that money back into the members who bank with us. So that could be lower rates. That could be less fees. That could be technology as well. Okay. Before we take our first break for this morning's show, I would like to talk to one of the folks from a Worker Cooperative so we have some sense of that. Uh, Jason Carpenter, if I might, from Downtown Sounds. Uh, Downtown Sounds became a cooperative. Uh, the former owner, I think with great foresight and community commitment, sold the business to the workers who formed the cooperative. Tell us a bit more about that, if you would, please. Downtown Sounds as a cooperative. somewhere to go with the business. I mean, he could have just closed it, I guess, but uh, he wanted it to continue on, and he didn't have any heirs to pass it on to, so he decided to sell it to the workers that were there. Okay. So, can we hear okay? Is this sound yeah. level? Okay. Great. So, the workers became a cooperative. They bought the business from Joe, and again, so many thanks for Joe for this forward-looking, I think, community commitment that he made. Instead of somehow just shutting down the business, he made this great contribution. Tell us how it works as a worker cooperative. Uh, well, in our case, I, I think Joe was looking towards um, the pickle place. I, I'm sorry, but I can't think of what Real pickles. Real pickles. That's the place. That, that was kind of one of Joe's, um, I, I guess, kind of models or something he looked to as far as, um, you know, where he could go with it. I, I don't necessarily think that. I don't necessarily think that our uh, model is exactly the same, but he was looking to it for inspiration at the beginning. Um, he, um, 
He handed it off to us. As far as the w the way that we run it, uh, we're kind of like Flatiron Co-op. Uh, we're we're more of a worker-owned co-op, and we do have members that buy in and they get a discount and they get certain benefits as as being a member of the co-op. But uh, essentially, how it works is we have four worker owners that uh, have a have a stake and they they work full time and they're also you know equal share owners of the business. And in addition to that, we have um, I'm not sure exactly what the number is. Maybe it's eight part-time employees that uh, come in and work various shifts, uh, some of them more hours than others, and it, it kind of allows them to um, you know, pick a day and time and that, that, that works with their schedule because a lot of them have other things going on, whether they're in bands or you know, running yoga studios or, or whatever the case may be. So. And in terms of decision-making, how does that work? Uh, it's a little haphazard, I, I would say. You know, uh, well, you're a bunch of musicians, okay? Yeah, well, and, that's, and that's part artists. of it for sure. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you know, ultimately the four owners make decisions. Sometimes, sometimes we don't make a decision, and things happen as a result of that. So, I don't know. You just march forward. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our annual co-op show. We are broadcasting live from River Valley Market here in Northampton. More on worker-owned co-ops. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. UMass Hockey returns to the Mullins Center on October 14th and 15th as they take on Denver. Experience hard-hitting hockey as the back-to-back -back Hockey East champions look to once again defend their title. Tickets can be purchased by logging on to umassathletics.com tickets. Or if you can't make it, listen to all the action right here on WHMP, your home for UMass Hockey. 1015-1400-1240 WHMP News Information and the Arts If I remember correctly there's something like 30 different grapes in this wine. That's the awesome thing about Portuguese There's like two grapes people have ever heard of and the rest of it is just catch as catch can and it's usually pretty good and very cheap Every Friday morning Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street These are Portuguese field blends from Casa Freitas. It is the Sand Creek Red Blend. I love this wine. It's $9.99, dark, it's rich. It's red. Uh, given the fact that there are 30 grapes playing against each other in here, there's a lot going on yeah. for $9.90. My kids, every time I make them smell wine, say, it smells like wine. All wine smells the same. Oh, yeah, and daughter. I'm like, you're yeah. wrong. But when I smelled this, the first thing I thought of was, it smells like wine. <laughs> but then very quickly moved on to chocolate and blueberry. and yeah. As soon as I swirled the glass, Boom. Yeah. Like chocolate cake. Blueberry and chocolate cake. That's what, those are like the that. two things I'm getting, blueberry and chocolate. Iron and blood. Yes. Yeah. Vampire wine. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street, Fruit Store, Deli, Wines and Spirits. The pipe creature will be there and the delicate giants. The clay masks, too. Plus the toilet paper faces. Mummenschanz. The Visual Theater Troupe, a Saturday afternoon at UMass. Mummenschant celebrates 50 years with a performance of greatest hits and a peek at their future. Mummenschant, resplendent on the big stage of the Frederick C. Tillis Performance Hall at UMass. Bizarre shapes and objects spring to life. Mummenschant is pure joy for young and old alike. Witty madness, says the New York Times, dazzling and delightful. Get tickets at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. A Saturday afternoon with Mummenschanz, October 15th, 3 p.m. at UMass. 
Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome back. It's our annual co-op show. And contrary to what I said just a few minutes ago, I got it right the first time I know I'm in East Hampton. A large part of my brain knows that. We are not at the Northampton uh, venue. Uh, We are in the East Hampton uh, store of River Valley Co-op. And we are so pleased to have with us uh, so many uh, participants and managers of the co-ops here in the Valley. I'd like to go to some of our Worker Valley co-ops, worker-owned co-ops, and ask about them. Uh, So let me start with Lynn Benander from Co-op Power. What is Co-op Power? Where is it? What do you do? And how do you function as a co-op? What does that mean in your business? So thanks for having us. It's kind of fun to be here with so many colleagues. So I'm Lynn Benander with Co-op Power and Northeast Biodiesel. And um, Co-op Power is a consumer-owned cooperative that um, came together 20 years ago because people wanted to figure out what to do about climate change, about access to renewable energy, about energy independence, and um, decided that together they could do something they couldn't do by themselves. And so um, right now we have 1,200 members and we've um, built about a helped to build about a dozen businesses and um, with hundreds of employees and um, we're we're providing discount on electricity from solar to we have about four and a half megawatts of solar that we've built that we own. So you are a consumer-owned co-op. We are Co-op Power is a consumer-owned cooperative, and we've helped to start help to build worker co-ops. Both. So we we, uh, helped PV Squared get started, for example, a very long time ago. And we just launched Northeast Biodiesel, which is a biodiesel production facility that's a hybrid that's both worker-owned and consumer-owned. Okay, so you're here covering all the bases here on Co-op Day on Co-op Yeah, we try to do as many as possible. (laughs) I appreciate that. Can you tell me a bit more, please, about how Co-op Power works as a consumer-owned cooperative? Uh, who joins? Who has the benefits? What are the economic advantages, please? So um, the people who join are, are people that want to um, make a change in how energy is bought and sold and generated in their community. And so we're organized by community. Those communities make decisions about what clean energy jobs they want, what new businesses they want, what new products and services they want. And then they build them with the help of all the other communities in our network and um, then provide those products and services to their members. Where are you located? Our, our, our common office is in Florence, actually, pretty close by. And you cover what geographic area? Um, the northeastern U.S. Oh, so just that. Okay, got it. Um, and if I joined, wh- what do I get? I, I, I pay some amount of money? Yeah, so uh, when we had our founding meeting, um, so just to go back to the beginning, co-ops exist 
so that the people who use them and who own them can make a difference, can get something they want or um, figure out something. So coal power is a kind of, a, it's kind of a maker space for people, for community leaders to figure out what to do about the energy industry and how communities can play a bigger role. So what you get is uh, a, uh, a lot of friends to figure out how to make a difference in your community. We're multi-class, multi-race, intergenerational, inclusive gender. We're a space that everybody's welcome. And when the founders got together and said, we really want to make a difference in the energy industry, they just were deciding how much to charge for a membership. And they said, um, what's the most we can charge in Massachusetts? And it's $975. And so, actually, it's $1,000. So somebody said, okay, I propose we charge $975. And someone said, second. And then the whole group, about 250 people, said, yes, let's do that. Oh, we want it to be accessible to low income people. So low income people can um, buy in for $500 paying over 10 years, so at $50 a year for 10 years. And the, what they buy is what? They buy a ownership share in the co-op that allows them to use the co-op as a platform to make change in their community and, so and get discounts on their energy, help build businesses, create jobs, really be an economic engine in their community. So just so I make sure I understand, can I lower my energy bill by becoming a member of the co-op? Yes. If your community already has built some energy resources like the um, like the array here that Co-op Power owns, that PV Squared built, that exists on River Valley Co-op space here in East Hampton, if you are um, in Western Mass and you're low income, you can sign on and save 15% on your electricity. Totally cool. But it, I mean, it really it depends on if the community has come forward and created something yet. If not, you can help create it, and then you get the savings. Ask her about Northeast Biodiesel. Okay, let's hear about Northeast Biodiesel. Northeast Biodiesel is a, a project that hundreds of people came together um, to because they really wanted to create a biodiesel manufacturing facility in Western Mass, and over the last 15 years, we raised six. Six and a half, six and a half million dollars. We just hired eight worker owners. It's owned by Co-op Power and the workers, and we're making, we're going to be making three and a half million gallons a year of biodiesel from used cooking oil, and that biodiesel can be used in any oil heat system or any diesel engine. And where do we buy that? Um, the local heating oil dealers, some of them. If you can go on the Co-op Power website to our heating fuel buying group and save money on buying through uh, our different partners like Cerner. And, um, and there's, there's also large institutions are buying the biodiesel for their heating plants so they can reduce their carbon footprint. Well, while we're talking about things on roofs, I'd like to turn to the person who has a cow on his roof, uh, Jason Carpenter. I'm sorry, not Jason Carpenter. Uh, Lloyd Miller uh, from Old Creamery Co-op, where oh. there is, in fact, the cow is still on the roof. Oh, right? yes, most definitely. Okay, you're a co-op. What kind of co-op? Tell us how it works. Well, we're, we're a food co-op. We're, uh, uh, we're, we're a sort of very small version of some of these other wonderful uh, establishments. We uh, definitely exist uh, buy-in for the community. We are member-owned. Everyone tell, tell, tell our listeners who somehow have not 
been to the oh well we're in Cummington Cummington Massachusetts okay we're on route 9 that's uh we're right, right about halfway between Northampton and Pittsfield there so we're kind of you know geographically removed from any other sort of commercial centers so our store really exists uh largely for the community in a sense that uh you know you've, you've got an aging community out there largely and a, and a pretty diverse community as well so um i'd say you know we're a food co-op that really strives to have a strong mix of your your traditional co-op uh fare of a you know organic natural you know uh healthy local and also uh while maintaining a budget-minded uh, uh selection as well for the people that you know uh, don't necessarily have the wherewithal to travel 30 minutes to to make their groceries all the time so you're a consumer-owned co-op. Yeah, that is correct, yes. And tell us a bit how that membership organization works. Well, we've been a co-op for, for 10 years, actually, coming up on uh, November 6th is our uh, 10th anniversary. Happy anniversary. So, well, thank you very much. Now, I haven't been there the whole time. I, I, I'm a fairly recent, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here because I'm always learning about this stuff myself. You know, the co-op model is a, a gorgeous model. And I'll tell you, I think the through line between all of them Really, it's mission-based, really, at the end of the day, right? You know, whichever kind of co-op it is, it's less about what the members are, you know, signing up to, 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 to receive than it is to how they can use their money as an economic tool and driver for the, the betterment of the mission. So that's, that's very cool. Okay, so go back. The mission, yeah. the, the mission of the old Creamery Co-op, would, how would you describe it? Well, we, we serve our community. You know, that's really our, our mission is really maintaining, uh, uh, you know, what we hope to be an affordable, positive selection of, uh, you know, what we're a grocery store at the end of the day. We have a wonderful deli and uh, you do. local local uh, local produce selection and, you know, everything that you would hope to have. And we, we try to get it in there all the time. We are broadcasting live from River Valley Co-op in East Hampton, the East Hampton store, which has been now open over a year and we're so pleased that we all could be here and join together on this co-op day on this co-op month we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to hear more about our co-ops in our valley right after this get in on the conversation call 413-586-7140 this is bill newman whmp for whmp news i'm jess tyler a West Springfield man is headed to prison after embezzling more than $1.4 million from a business in Chicopee. 70-year-old Gerald Burke was sentenced to 31 months in prison and must pay restitution to the victims as well as to the IRS. Burke was employed by a privately owned metal stamping company and was in charge of the company's finances. The union representing teachers, paraprofessionals, and clerical staff of the Amherst Pelham and Amherst Regional Schools is holding a rally on Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. on the town common. The union says they're frustrated that mediation led to the Amherst School Committee canceling negotiating sessions, and they believe this was a tactic to exclude rank-and-file members. Allison McDonald, chairwoman for the subcommittee for the schools, tells the Gazette that mediation was only sought when an impasse was reached. McDonald says the towns cannot afford the $15 million per year in compensation increases the union is asking for. 
and about 150 items considered sacred by the Sioux peoples that have been stored at a small Massachusetts museum for more than a century are being returned. Museum and tribal officials announced Monday that the items, including weapons, pipes, moccasins, and clothing, some of which are thought to be linked to the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre, are due to be formally handed over during a ceremony November 5th. The items have been stored at the Founders Museum in Barr for more than a century. Kevin Killer, president of the Oglala Sioux tribe said that the return of the items is a chance to begin the process of healing. Joan Holiday, WHMP News. Mixture of sun and clouds today, the high of 70 to 74. Clouds increase tonight, overnight low of 46 to 52. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, showers mainly in the afternoon, a high of 66 to 70. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La Corte Suprema de Estados Unidos se negó el martes a decidir si los fetos tienen derechos constitucionales a la luz de su fallo de junio que anuló la decisión Roe versus Wade de 1973 que había legalizado el aborto en todo el país, evitando por ahora otro frente en las guerras culturales de Estados Unidos. Los jueces rechazaron una apelación de un grupo católico y dos mujeres del fallo de un tribunal inferior contra su impugnación de una ley de Rhode Island de 2019 que codificó el derecho al aborto de acuerdo con el precedente de Roe. Las dos mujeres embarazadas en el momento en que se presentó el caso, demandaron el nombre de sus fetos y luego dieron a luz. La Corte Suprema de Rhode Island decidió que los fetos carecían de la capacidad legal adecuada para presentar la demanda. Algunos republicanos a nivel estatal han buscado lo que se llama leyes de personalidad fetal, que otorgaría a los fetos antes del nacimiento una variedad de derechos legales y protecciones como las de cualquier persona. En otras informaciones, el martes la administración de Biden instó a la Corte Suprema a evitar una pelea legal por documentos clasificados incautados durante una búsqueda del FBI en la propiedad del expresidente Donald Trump en Florida. El Tribunal Superior está revisando una apelación de emergencia de Trump pidiéndole que revoque un fallo de un tribunal inferior y permita que un árbitro independiente o maestro especial revise los aproximadamente 100 documentos con marcas clasificadas que se tomaron en la búsqueda de Mar-a-Lago el 8 de agosto. El Departamento de Justicia dijo en un documento de 32 páginas que la afirmación de Trump no tiene fundamento y señaló que el caso involucra registros gubernamentales extraordinariamente sensibles. La presentación de Trump fue primero para el juez Clarence Thomas, quien supervisa las apelaciones de emergencia del onceavo circuito, pero los jueces individuales casi siempre involucran a todo el tribunal en casos de alto perfil como este. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. On this co-op day, on this co-op month, we continue our broadcast live from River Valley Co-op here in East Hampton with Craig Boven from the UMass Five College Credit Union, Rochelle Prunty from the River Valley Co-op. Uh, Lynn Menander from Co-op Power, Jason Carpenter from Downtown Sounds, Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op, and Larissa Dimas from the Valley Alliance of Worker Cooperatives. I want to ask you all a question that, uh, and, and I don't in any way want to uh, uh, understate or overstate the importance of co-ops, but to me, I think there's a misconception in some ways that co-ops somehow are not competitive economically or they can't offer all the services in the industry that they are part of and that sort of thing. And what I have learned from talking to you over these years when we have the co-op show during October, the co-op month, um, 
that that's not true. That's just wrong. But it's a, I think that might be an impediment in some ways to development of co-ops. And I'd appreciate your thoughts on that. Let's, let's just start. We'll go around and have kind of a roundtable on this. Uh, Craig Boven from UMass Five, Credit, Five College Credit Union. What's the story on that for your point of view? Sure thing. Uh, so I actually think uh, credit unions offer more products and services than um, some of the national banks. For example, UMass Five, we're really big into, into sustainability lending. Uh, we've done a lot with solar lending across the Commonwealth. We actually have a 0% farm share loan where uh, folks who want to go purchase a CSA in the summer, obviously if you have to go pay four to $600 up front to pay the farmer, that can be a lot for some people. So they can actually come to UMass Five uh, we'll pay the farmer for you, and then you get access to local fresh produce all summer long. So, And we don't make any interest or money off that. That's just trying to help for local food accessibility. So I think uh, the local scale of uh, credit unions in our valley is really special, and it, it allows us to uh, really understand the people that bank with us and, and be nimble enough to offer what people need. That is really special. You can have a loan for how little or how much? It's 0% for a farm share loan. So the, looking at just truly food accessibility and wanting to ensure that every person of the Valley has access to local farm fresh veggies that we're spoiled with here in Western Mass. And the amount of the loan that you'll make? Uh, how many loans? No, I mean, how, how big is the loan? Are we talking? Oh, well, usually a CSA is anywhere from 400 to 800 if you're doing a family share. So they're small dollar loans um, overall, but to, to come up with that money up front to be able to access that all summer long could be tough depending on someone's budget. Yeah, I kind of think that the international banks, hi, I'd like a loan of $400 to buy food. I just don't think they're going to be that receptive <laughs> to that. But let me let me turn, if I might, from Craig Boven from the UMass Five College Credit Union to Rochelle Prunty from the River Valley Co-op. How does the economics work from your point of view? Um, uh, there's layers of it. One layer is um, uh, the accessibility for for uh, low-income customers. We went from um, a little over uh, about a million dollars in uh, food for all sales, which are uh, where low-income people get a 10% discount on their on their groceries from the co-op. Um, if you uh, if you qualify for like SNAP or or uh, WIC or something like that, um, and over the last year that that went up to uh, two million, uh, so that's been a, a really important program uh, for us here. Um, so and then competitive prices for consumers are also for everyone are also important. And we have uh, we participate in a co-op of food co-ops, uh, which is a purchasing co-op. Co-ops have co-ops. Yes, co-ops have co-ops. <laughs> <laughs> the co-ops are breeding more co-ops. Okay, I got. Yes, it. we I do. It. That's exactly what we do. Um, and uh, so we're able to get um, pricing as like over, you know, three hundred uh, stores like a chain without being a chain while being independent and so we get we get competitive pricing on our on our products we're also able to negotiate together for our co-op basics uh, line which are like hundreds of staple items at super competitive prices so and also you can buy in bulk and you know all of those things so on the consumer side that's one level um, but the other side um, is really important, and that's a, 
you know, the reason that we existed, the reason that we formed in the first place was to support local farmers and food producers in the community. And um, uh, so purchasing local is is really critical. And over this last year, with the addition of the East Hampton store, um, we've had an um, uh, uh, over $3 million increase in our local purchases from wholesale purchases from local uh, growers. So we're up um, up over $10 million in local purchases, um, up from just under seven the year before. Um, so that is huge in supporting the community. Um, the other thing is, is we're and I assume also gives you good prices because you're not having, you're not incurring the expense of trucking uh, produce in from hundreds or thousands of miles away. Sometimes it's really competitive, but you know, also here in the valley, we're trying to support our workers, and so you know, a lot of our a lot of our our local growers are paying you know, good wages to all of their workers, too, and um, and they're producing a, a premium product. Sometimes it's on the same price level as the, um, you know, things shipped in from California. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit more, but it's way fresher. So so it is, uh, it, it goes either way, depending on whether you're in season or right. not. Right, you don't want to look at your tomato and say, hi, did you have a nice trip? Right. <laughs> no, not where and, you want to start. Well, and they just <laughs> taste better when they're right from yeah, here. Like, absolutely. there's no doubt about it. The other thing is, we contribute a lot to the community. Um, over a hundred thousand dollars a year in in like sponsorships, donations, contributions to local nonprofits. Let me turn now, if I might, to Lynn Benander from uh, Co-op Power and Northeast Biodiesel. Your perspective on the economics of co-ops and your co-ops. I could talk to you about this for about three hours, so I'm going to try to figure out exactly. So co-op power members join co-op power because they don't want the economy to be something that happens to them. They want to create their economy. So they put their own money in, so they invest, and even low-income people are so excited to have a chance to invest and shape their local to get the kids that are on the street corner into really good jobs you know it's like they're people are excited to invest dollars they might not be so many but whatever they have they're excited to invest their dollars into shaping the economy they get savings from the products and services that we develop they get jobs. They actually work. So, so they're they're participating as investors, as consumers, as workers, and then as voters to help make things happen. So they're and then when they're voting, they're shaping the economy through the kinds of laws that they're making. So we're really looking at it kind of full circle. I want to mention that um, Jessica Gordon Nemhart wrote a book called Collective Courage, which details how cooperatives were used by African Americans to survive segregation, how to shape their own communities so that they had all of, they had the grocery stores, the banks, the, you know, the places to meet. Um, and so um, cooperatives are used especially by people with very limited resources to be able to gain control over their economic condition and survive. 
they're a tool for survival for many people. For farmers, you can't run a farm without belonging to three or four different cooperatives to be able to access the equipment you need, the feedstock you need, the um, you know the the markets that you need. So uh, people use co-ops to get done what they really want to get done. And in Atlantic Canada, I visited the communities that had been where all of the uh, capital had been disinvested from those communities. And the Catholic Church stepped forward and said, we have to help our people. And so around kitchen tables in all of these communities, Catholic priests met with people and said, how can we rebuild our local economy? And they created co-ops. And I went to the island of Lamech, where you can be born in a cooperative hospital, die in a cooperative funeral home, and do every dollar of your economic life in cooperatives. Because there were no businesses left, and they recreated the whole infrastructure for life together in a cooperative economy. And do you see um, that kind of expansion of co-ops happening in the Valley? You know, th that's not a bad teaser. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to find out about that. We're going to start with Luisa, D Luisa Demos from the Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops, and we're going to find out about the economics and the future of co-ops with our other guests as well right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015-1400 and 1240, we are the Valley. We are WHMP. Buy a mattress online? There are at least a hundred websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than pixels to know what it actually feels like? Maybe you could just lay on the screen and... Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon. Not Tempur-Pedic, not trying to mislead you. Come to Talon Furniture and lay down on a Therapeutic. I'll leave you alone. You can see how you are together. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. I've been to the factory in Brockton. Yes, they're made by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Talon delivers and sets it up. We don't just drop a big burrito on your doorstep. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. Talon Furniture, a real store just down the hill from Amherst College. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries, spiked milkshakes, and more. It's not fast food, it's good food. Fast. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. 
Just as I was starting my medical training, I came down with an autoimmune disease that led to cancer. I needed a liver transplant. Fortunately, I got one from someone who registered as a donor. As a physician, I understand the barriers to organ donation. Some people think their organs are too old or just don't want to think about dying. But one organ donor can save up to eight lives. People who register as donors are heroes. And I'm here thanks to my hero. Be a hero. Register at registerme.org. Sponsored by New England Donor Services. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our annual co-op show. We are broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton. October, of course, is Co-op Month, which has been observed since 1964. It is the nation's opportunity to acknowledge and celebrate the contributions made by co-ops. Let me turn, if I might, to Larissa Demos from the Valley Alliance of Workers Co-ops. We are talking about the contributions and the importance of worker and consumer co-ops and the other kind of co-ops uh, here in the Valley. Tell us your perspective on that, if you would, please. Thanks. I Hopefully I can speak as well as Lynn on this subject. She was um, wonderful with that. Um, I guess for Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops, who are co-op of co-ops, as we mentioned earlier, um, but I also want to talk a little about Flatiron Co-op as well um, in the importance of our local economy is all of our worker owners, you know, we live and shop right in our own neighborhoods. Um, and a large part of our products come within 30 miles of our business. So we're really trying to keep the money that we're making in our communities um, to help everyone grow stronger, not just the worker owners who can um, have really equitable jobs and meaningful jobs from being a member of the co-op. Um, and other, you're talking now and talking about, about co-ops in general as well as the flat iron coffee house. Yeah, in house general as well. But yeah, it's just nice that our workers are getting paid um, and our money is going right back into the community um, where we shop and live, which is really nice. Um, we estimated there's probably about 150 co-ops between Southern Vermont and Western Mass. Um, and I can really only speak to um, some information um, from Vox um, last annual report that we talked you know, a lot of people are wondering with COVID, um, with a lot of jobs being lost, businesses being closed, the Flatiron reopened a business that was closed during COVID because it was a business that was so important to the community that we wanted to bring that back. Um, and we we're doing really well with that. Um, but some other quick statistics that I dug up um, with most people losing jobs during COVID, um, the members of Bach, we had like a three to 4% increase in employment. Um, which is amazing. Um, and then we also kept about $17,000 between all the co-ops together. So we support each other within the co-op of buying our products and services when we can. So we actually were able to keep that money into um, a more local economy. Um, and then we also have about $24,000 that is in loan funds to help loan um, and fund other co-op and startups. 150 co-ops in the valley. And that's probably just an average. Is probably more than that, but wow. that's what we're estimating. Well, good for you. Good for us. Yes. Let, let me turn, if I might, to Lloyd Miller from the old Creamery Co-op. The economics of co-op from your point of view? Well, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, our co-op is so local that the economics are, you know, Essentially, we exist as a store because our members support us and want us to exist as a store. You know, geographically removed from from so many other forms of commerce, and you know, it's not like you get a lot of just random foot traffic 
you know, happening around there. We really exist because the membership is invested and has continued to support and us. And because you're a wonderful store. Oh, and, of and when we're going up to go skiing, <laughs> always stop on oh, one and way or another. Still, we got hot mold cider. We're going to have house made hot chocolate. I'll shill all day because we're. We got great stuff. You do. But, you know, at the end of the day, all of that helps to, to bolster the, the, the everyday shopping done by the community, right? And so if we didn't have that wonderful pass-through sometimes, and if we didn't have these wonderful members who continually, you know, invest in support to, to really make sure that we have the strength to uh, continue serving our community, you know, it might not be there. Are you pressured economically by the big stores? No, I wouldn't say that exactly. I, I think that we're an alternative to the big stores, but we're also an alternative to, you know, a uh, population that doesn't necessarily have the ability to drive 30 minutes to go get to them. So you're performing a function, an economic function, that no one else is. Local as little, local can be. Yeah, a little different than some of the other businesses, although let me turn now, if I might, to uh, Jason Carpenter from Downtown Sounds. Uh, you have to compete in some ways with large business, large music stores. You're also, though, a very integral part of the Northampton music scene. So tell us about the economics and the competition aspect of your co-op. Uh, yeah, I think, I think after hearing everyone else here, our mission is maybe far less noble than everyone else here. But, uh, you know, we're a retailer, we're a reseller of instruments, but I think it is important for everyone at the store to kind of maintain a place where people can come locally to pick up a guitar and try it out and, and see if they like it or not. But we, we definitely face the pressures of the bigger um, retailers, online retailers. Anybody that walks into it forces us to be competitive with our pricing. Um, anybody can walk into the store and point to a guitar and look at it and say, hey, you got this price at this much, and then they reach in their pocket and pull out their phone and say, I see I can buy it right here, and it'll be delivered to my door in two days for this price right here. So we, we kind of are forced to compete with the largest um, you know, retailers that are out there, and a lot, of us, uh, a lot of them can really crush us with volume because they can offer discounts and stuff just because of the sheer amount of volume that they do. So, so online is really the competition. That's the main thing. And we also understand it too, because there are people in remote places where they don't have a, a you know a guitar shop. I mean, we do our share of online stuff just to be able to compete. Um, and there's a certain number of people that are out there in a place where they don't have a guitar shop that's within five minutes. So of course we want to be open to the community, but as part of that, we also have to be open to the larger kind of country. And uh, so we cater to certain people that are. They don't have a shop right down the road. They, they have to go online. So they look at these bigger retailers, and they look at us. So, Let's go around our round table. We have two minutes left. A final thought from each of you on this annual co-op show. October is co-op month. Let's hear from you, uh, Craig Bovin from UMass 5 College Credit Union. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and I would just say uh, when you're thinking about, uh, actually, I'm going I'm to issue a challenge. I think everyone should go at the end of this, go look up the local co-ops in the valley, look at the missions, understand how we're helping people and understand how co-ops are working together to make a, a, a better Pioneer Valley. Rochelle Prunty from River Valley Co-op. I've always said that the importance of co-ops are people uh, working together and practicing working together and having that structure because we don't know what our needs are going to be in the future but if we have strong systems like we do in this valley and a history of working together we can address anything that comes our way and you know emerging from the 
pandemic and seeing everything that's happening, we're, uh, we're lucky to be in this time now because it's calling on us. Lynn Benander from Co-op Power and Northeast Biodiesel. I think at the opposite extreme of the co-op economy is this um, very um, anonymous, impersonal, opaque, uh, extractive economy that is really taking away from our communities. And cooperatives offer an alternative that's personal, that's transparent, that's regenerative. And I think in these days, this is just really critical. Communities build co-ops, and then co-ops build community. Jason Alexander? Jason Alexander. <laughs> Jason Carpenter. <laughs> Downtown Sounds. Uh, yeah, we're trying to provide a local music shop, and uh, we encourage everybody to come in. We want to be there so that people can wander in and uh, take a look at the instruments, try them out before they uh, take them home. Lloyd Miller? Even the most casual spending is a tool. Think about what you're supporting when you do it. And I love, I love the old creamery, so it's terrific. Uh, Luisa Demos, Valley Alliance of Worker Co-ops, the final word is yours. I would say just support co-op whenever you can, whether it's through um, a worker-owned co-op, a consumer-owned co-op, or your credit union. It's just going to help strengthen our communities. We are going to leave it there. This has been our annual co-op show. We are broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op here in East Hampton. We thank Craig Woven from the UMass Five College Credit Union, Rochelle Printy from River Valley Co-op, Lynn Benander from Co-op Power and Northeast Biodiesel, Jason Carpenter from Downtown Sounds, Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op, and Larissa Demos from the Valley Alliance of Workers Cooperative. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, all of you, so much for all you do for this community. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Do you ever wish you could be a kid again? Big Brothers Big Sisters lets you take a break from the adult world for a few hours a week. Anyone can be a mentor. You'll have support and guidance from professional caseworkers like me. My name is Jess, and I'm a case manager, but I've also been a big sister with the program for almost four years. At first, I thought it would be hard to find the time, but spending time with my little quickly became one of the best parts of my week. When is the last time you went rollerblading or cooked s'mores over a campfire? Mentoring is fun, but it also makes a huge difference in a kid's life. Children who have good mentors do better in school, are more confident, and have better relationships with their peers. Nearly 200 kids in our area are currently waiting to be matched with a mentor, and most are boys hoping to find a big brother. Come in for an info session with me to learn more. Start something. Call 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County today. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.